Amen. Thank you so much, choir. Church, let's take our Bibles and turn to the New Testament, to the book of James. As we're walking through this great book, and while you're turning there, just a reminder, you have two more weeks uh, to be able to nominate um, uh, names of men for our uh, upcoming uh, office of deacons. I hope you'll take advantage of that. Uh, spend some time talking about it, praying over it in your Bible study classes today, and um, spend some time nominating those men that you feel would make wonderful deacons to serve the members of our church. As a football fan, when you come to September, October, you're just in hog heaven, right? Uh, I love this time of year. And uh, mainly because I love football, especially uh, college football. Uh, one of my favorite parts of football, when, especially when I'm at home watching, is the slow motion replay. I was watching uh, Kentucky and Florida just a, a week ago, a game that, um, if you're a Florida fan, by the way, we gave it to you. Congratulations. Uh, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. All of those kinds of things. But uh, early in the game, uh, there was a pass going into the end zone. And uh, there was a catch that was just unbelievable. And uh, so much so that they ruled it a touchdown, but no one was really sure that it was. And so in the slow motion replay, what happens is that you're able to see the athleticism of the players. I mean, we have some amazing athletes that play college football. But one of the things that happens is that questionable calls now become clear because they just slow it down and you see just frame by frame by frame by frame. And a call that may seem questionable now becomes clear. Well, that is exactly what James is doing for us today. James is taking the subject of temptation and he is slowing it down frame by frame so that we can understand it clearly and know how to overcome it. Now, as we walk through this text, let me just highlight a few realities of life for all of us when we deal with the subject of temptation. Number one, we live in a world that does not function the way God intended. Ours is a world that does not function the way that God intended. And that is the reason why evil does not always appear to be evil in our eyes. And for many, we lack the power to fight our sin battles on our own. So what temptation is, temptation is simply an invitation to meet my needs outside the will of God. And that's what we're talking about with temptation. Last week we talked about trials. What is a trial? A trial is something that is placed before us and it is designed to cause us to stand. 
right? To strengthen our faith in God, to strengthen our resolve to follow God and walk in Him by faith. Temptation, on the other hand, is not designed to strengthen us. It's designed to cause us to stumble in our faith. It's designed to break down our relationship with God by leading us to take matters into our own hands, thinking we know what's better for us than God does Himself. So as we look at the text, just a few things that I would highlight for us this morning. Number one, temptation is a fact of life, right? Much like trials, James says, let no one say when he is tempted. So it's not a matter of if, but when. Temptation is inevitable. It is a word that literally means to put to the test. To put to the test. So James speaks of trials and temptations. Both exist and both have very different sources and both have very different purposes. So always remember, what is a test? It's an invitation to stand. It's an invitation to stand strong in our faith. It's an invitation to grow in our faith. What is temptation? It's an invitation to stumble. It's an invitation to stumble in our faith. It's an invitation to step outside the will of God and take matters into our own hands. And James is saying you will face that battle every single day of your life. So we should not be surprised when we are tried. We should not be surprised when we are tempted. After all, if temptation existed in a perfect world, in a sinless world, how much more will it exist in a world that is broken and full of sin? Even the best of us are far from immune. In fact, Paul, in his letter to the church at Corinth, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, writes and says, No temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. In other words, no temptation has taken hold of you, has gripped you, has seized you, except that which is common to man. In other words, no temptation has come your way except that which is part of the human experience. Paul says we're not going to be tempted with something new. We're not going to be tempted with something unusual. In fact, in the context of this verse in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul is talking about sexual immorality on one hand and grumbling on the other. And Paul says these are common to man temptations. There are temptations that you and I will face today and tomorrow, and the next day, and the day after that. Temptation is a fact of life. Secondly, God never sets you up to fail. God never sets you up to fail. James makes it clear that God does not traffic in the realm of the immoral. God is not the author of of evil. So when you t- find temptation appealing, right? You cannot blame it on God. It's always easy, isn't it, to blame someone else for our problems, even the Lord. Well, Lord, you put me in this situation. 
Well, Lord, you gave me these desires. Lord, you knew I was broke. Lord, you knew I was weak in this area. I read about a, an overweight pastor who announced to his staff that he was going on a diet. The next morning, he showed up in the office and he had a box of Krispy Kreme donuts and two were missing. Um, he set them down in the, in the office and the secretary said, Well, now, Pastor, I thought you said you were going on a diet. And he said, I was, but it wasn't God's will. She said, how do you know it wasn't God's will? And he said, well, as I drive to work every morning, I drive past Krispy Kreme. And so I just prayed, Lord, if it's not your will, don't let there be a parking spot in front of the Krispy Kreme this morning. And sure enough, the eighth time around the block, there it was. And I pulled in. We are always trying to blame someone else for our sin, even God. Adam, when he was confronted by sin, replied, well, the woman you gave me, it's her fault. And really, God, it's your fault <laughs> because you were the one who gave her to me. Eve blamed Satan. Adam blamed God. Dear ones, God is never, ever, ever the source of our temptation problems. Never. So don't go there. God never sets us up to fail. He doesn't tempt people. He never puts you in a situation where you have to sin. Never. So when temptation appeals to you, don't blame God. Then he says, whatever sin you're flirting with, if you keep flirting with it, it'll kill you. Whatever sin you're flirting with, if you keep flirting with it, it'll kill you. In other words, sin doesn't just happen out of the blue. There's a process behind it. There is a structure behind it. There is a, a chain of events. When we give in to temptation, we set forth a chain of events that is as certain, James says, as childbirth itself. We are... Lured away. We are enticed. Sin is conceived. It gives birth to sin. A habit is formed. It becomes full grown. And soon the soul is destroyed. Let me give you the life cycle of sin in four easy words. All right? Number one. Disobedience or deception. Deception. Right? Genesis 3, for example, sets a perfect picture of the life cycle of sin because at the heart of it, it is unbelief. Right? We don't believe or we don't blame God when He says one thing is good for us and another is bad. We don't blame Him, but we certainly do question Him, and that is where sin starts. That's why the serpent said to Eve, Did God really say? Right? Your enemy is out always to deceive you. So you have deception. Deception leads to desire. James says each one is drawn away and enticed by his own desire. We are drawn away. We are lured away from God's design. 
By the way, the word enticed, it literally means to bait the hook. Now, I wonder, I'm not a fisherman, but I know we have some men in the room are. What happens if you just put a hook on the end of a line, tie it on, and cast it out into the water? Are the fish going to jump on the hook? No, you take a worm or some kind of artificial thing and wrap it over it. Why? Because you want to disguise what's really there so that you can entice the fish to bite. And that is what our enemy does. Temptation appeals to our desires. It attracts us, but it hides the fact that it'll kill us. Sinful desire gives birth to sinful Deeds. So we have deception, we have desire, then we have disobedience. In other words, we act on our desire. When desire is conceived, it gives birth. So sinful desires eventually give birth to sinful deeds. The end result is death. When sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. That means when sin is fully grown, here's what it does. It consumes us. The imagery in this passage is terrifying. I don't mind sharing with you this morning that I hate snakes. In my opinion, the only good snake that I've ever seen is a dead snake. Um, There was an occasion when my boys were small and uh, we were about to put them in the backyard. We had this small little fenced-in backyard and and we were going to put them in the backyard and let them play and um, Julie looked in the, out the window and saw back in the back in the corner next to the fence one of the largest snakes that either one of us had seen in a long time. And of course, as you know, it's dad's job, right? It's dad's job to go outside and take care of it. Right? Lee wouldn't send Susan out to take care of something like that. At least I hope he wouldn't. If he does, you call me. we got a problem that we'll have to address. Right? So what do I do? I, I mean, I'm the dad. It's my responsibility to take care of this. And I, I, I wish I had a picture of this image. I put on the thickest pair of jeans I own. I had a big winter coat on. All right, I had big, thick gloves on my hands, and I think I had something over my face, and I grabbed a shovel out of the garage, and here I go. And it's not any farther than 30 feet, right? But it took me 15 minutes, right, 15 minutes to creep up to that snake. My goal was I was going to creep up to it and kill it, and it wouldn't even know that I was there. So I'm just inching along 15 minutes. And right as I got up close enough where I thought the shovel would reach it, and I pulled that shovel up, my eyes caught the words on the back of the snake, made in China. Right, my neighbors behind me had a swimming pool. I guess it blew over into my yard, and I was convinced it was a, a real snake. <laughs> I've never been bitten by a snake. I've been fooled by some plastic ones. The thing about snakes is you never know what a snake is thinking. There is no affection with a snake. 
I'm told that the only reason a snake likes to be held by a, union, uh, a human is because it's a cold-blooded reptile and likes the warmth of human contact. That's why you'll see a snake sometimes lounging on top of a rock somewhere out in the, the woods. They're cold-blooded. A snake could be looking at you and thinking, I, I may bite you, I'm not really sure yet. Uh, if I will or not. That's a snake. There's no affection. It's not like a dog or, or even sometimes a cat. Right? There is no affection. Not long ago I read about a British man who kept an 8 foot python named Tiny in his bedroom. He had nine other snakes. It should not surprise us that the man was found dead in his room. And these were the coroner's words. The most likely scenario is that Tiny killed him. The most likely scenario is that the man was strangled by Tiny, his own snake. Church, in the exact same way, sin can just creep into our lives. And in our minds, we think, it's tiny. It's not going to hurt us. We can handle it. This will never get the best of me. And the next thing you know, tiny has killed you. Why? Because that is what sin does. You sow a thought. You reap a deed. You sow a deed. You reap a habit, you sow a habit, you reap a character, you sow a character, you reap a destiny. So what, what do we do in response? Well, James tells us, turn to the gospel when you're tempted. Turn to the gospel when you're tempted. He says in verse 16, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Every good and every perfect gift is from above. It's coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation, with whom there is no shadow due to change. James says, be smart. Don't be deceived. Don't let desire lead to temptation. We could make a list of names, couldn't we? Eve, Samson, David, Ananias, Sapphira. Let's not add our names to the list. Let's not flirt with it. Gordon MacDonald described temptation as tiptoeing on cobwebs. God needs us to be salt and light in our world. So let's not let him down. So remember from last week, when you face trials, what do you do? <laughs> you trust in the gospel. When you face temptation, what do you do? You turn to the gospel. Turn your face away. Turn your head away. Turn your mind away. Turn your heart away. And turn it to the gospel. 
We need to remember that God is faithful in our salvation. With God there is no variation or shadow of change. So when I am tempted, I cannot believe the lie that says, this will make me happier, this will make me better. No, James says, be smart. Don't be deceived. Turn to the gospel when you're tempted because your heavenly Father is the source of every good gift. Your heavenly Father is the source of every perfect gift. Dear ones, God is consistently good. He is constantly good. He never changes for the better Or worse, unlike us, God is never in a bad mood. He is perfectly and wonderfully good. And James says, He has brought us forth by the word of truth. You see, God is the source of every good thing in us, especially of our salvation. You want to know what the ultimate sign of His goodness is? And that His goodness is unending? Look at verse 18. That we should be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. This is a foretaste of that which is to come. You know what that means? That means what God is doing in your life right now today is but a preview of that which is to come. It is but a preview of another day. It is but a preview of you and I walking in a land where temptation and trial are gone forever. It is but a preview of a new day when God will make all things right. And so the one who has saved me from my sin is the very one that will lead me through to the end. So let me just say this morning to us, if, um, if you're not a Christ follower. Maybe you're here this morning exploring the claims of Christianity. You're wondering if there really is anything redemptive in the gospel. I would share with you today that the Bible is clear that God is utterly sinless and that we are utterly sinful. In other words, whatever's inside is going to come out. But the good news and the heart of God that no matter the depth of our sin, the blood of Jesus goes even deeper and cleanses us of our sin. Aren't you thankful for that today? The blood of Jesus can cover all sin. Often we want to put the blame for all the junk in our lives on others. You know, it's our friend's fault or our family's fault or my upbringing's fault. Today the popular thing is is to blame it on the government or culture or anything else we can think of. But dear ones, listen, the problem lies deep inside every single one of us. 
that's where it is. And the solution is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you will trust in Him, if you will turn from sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ, oh, you'll find a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And you will have the Spirit of God alive and at work inside you that will help guide you through the rest of your life. Now let me speak to believers in the house today. If you're a Christ follower, you know Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, no temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. But he also goes on to say, and God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape so that you can stand up. So that you can endure it. So God is faithful. He is faithful to provide for our deliverance out of temptation. Isn't that not the heart and character of God? Did God not deliver His people from Egypt? Did God not deliver His people from Babylon? Did God not deliver the Jews from the plot of Haman? Did God not take three young Jewish boys in the midst of a fiery furnace and allow them to experience the presence of Jesus Christ in the midst of the flames? Did God not allow Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to walk out of the flame unsinged, no smell of smoke, but with the joy of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ radiating in their hearts and lives? We should have faith that God knows how to deliver us. Beloved, as believers, some people may fall into temptation, but unfortunately, too many make plans for it in advance. A little boy is leaving the house one day, and his father says, Son, don't go swimming in the canal. Okay, Dad. When he comes home that night, he's carrying a wet bathing suit in his hands. What'd you do today, son? I went swimming in the canal. Didn't I tell you not to go swimming in the canal? Yes, sir. Why did you? Well, Dad, I had my bathing suit with me and I couldn't resist the temptation. Well, son, why did you take your bathing suit with you? Well, Dad, I wanted to be prepared to swim in case I was tempted. Right? We laugh about that because we all know it's true. Often it's not a matter of just falling into temptation. It is preparing for it in advance. And what is the answer, right? For those who are without Christ, what is their need? To turn to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And is that not also true for believers when we are dealing with temptation? We must turn to the gospel of Jesus Christ every single day of our lives. So whether you're a teenager who's just given your life to Christ or a child who's just given your life to Christ or whether you're a 90-year-old Christian sitting in this house today, there will never be a day that temptation doesn't look alluring to you and you must turn to the gospel of Jesus Christ every single day of your life. That's why Paul said in Romans 10 and verse 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Every day when we put our feet on the floor, we put on the Lord Jesus Christ.
When I was a kid, there was a commercial on TV that played over and over and over and over again. Right? So I was a kid living on a small farm in the country where we had three channels. We had seven, we had 14, and we had 25. And so depending on the weather, you were turning the antenna pole. Anybody ever turn an antenna pole? Younger people may not even have a clue what that is. Right? You turn the antenna pole in order to zoom it in. And sometimes you turn it and you got a leg out because that's the way the picture shows. And so you got to stand there for an hour. You turn the antenna. Well, the TV show ran on ABC, NBC, and CBS. And it was an old Indian gentleman by the name of Iron Eyes Cody. And some of you will remember him, right? You show him in a, in a, uh, a canoe out on the water and he notices trash on the side of the river and then it zooms in on Iron Eyes, Iron Eyes Cody's face and you see tears coming down his cheek. That commercial ran for over 20 years. It was a part of the Keep America Beautiful campaign. Iron Eyes Cody in an interview one day gave a, a story that would do well for all of us to remember. He tells a story about Indian boys and their rite of passage, right? Their passage from being a young boy to being a young man is that they have to go off on their own and they have to live by themselves for three days. And he tells about one young boy in particular, right, who had been out and, and he had accomplished great things and he's near the end of his second day and he moves into his third day and as he's sitting there where he had made a little campfire and he looks up at this mountaintop and sees this large rock and there's snow on it. And he decides, boy, I, I'm going to accomplish that feat. When I go back to the village today, I'm going to tell everybody I made it to the top of the mountain. And so off he goes. And he climbs the mountain. And he finally gets to the top and he's standing in the snow and he's standing up there and his chest is filled out and he's full of pride and he throws up his hands and he says, look what I've accomplished. He hears a noise on the ground. He looks down and it's a rattlesnake. And all of a sudden, the snake speaks to him. Please pick me up. I'm freezing in the snow. Please pick me up. I'm freezing in the snow. And this teenage boy looks at the snake and says, You're a rattlesnake. You're poisonous. You'll bite me and you'll kill me. I'm not picking you up. And the snake says, No, no, I won't bite you. I won't bite you. Just pick me up so I can live. I won't bite you. Let me feel the warmth of your body and take me down the mountain. So this young teenage boy reaches down and picks up the snake and lays him close to his chest and starts walking down the mountain. As he gets down to the bottom and he's almost back at his campground and now it's gone from being snow on the feet to now a really warm, beautiful, sunny day. And just as this teenage boy puts his hands on the snake to put him down, the rattlesnake bites him in the chest. He 
drops to the ground. And the young boy, knowing he's only got a moment or two before he dies, looks down at that snake and says, Now wait a minute, you said you wouldn't bite me. And the young boy looked down at the snake. And the snake looked at him and said, Yes, but you knew what I was when you picked me up. Whatever temptation that you may find yourself flirting with, dear ones, it'll kill you. It'll kill you. James is saying, every one of us in this room understand what it means to be tempted. And temptation follows a pattern. It is slow motion replay where the end result, the very last frame is death. Death to my life. Death to my family. Death to everything I know and love. And the answer, don't be deceived. Be smart. Turn to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ every day of your life and make no provision for the flesh. And that, dear ones, is how we stand. We turn to Jesus and we 